Well, today we're starting a new little piece that I want to do for the next two weeks. We're calling it The Mission. Everybody say The Mission. You can do better than that. Say The Mission. And I have two purposes with this message, with this teaching, over the next two weeks. Two purposes. Number one, I want to call each and every one of us to live a life that is missional. Not just going through the motions, that we're on a mission every morning when we wake up and every evening when we put our head on our pillow, that we are living for mission. This is a missional church. You say, what does that mean? Um, well, we're not, we don't exist just to make you feel good. Uh, we are after the purposes and plans of God to fulfill those in our lifetime. We want to make it hard to go to hell from Cedar Hill, Duncanville, DeSoto, Grand Prairie, Lancaster, Arlington, all the surrounding cities. We are on a mission to see God's name stamped upon the hearts and minds of all the souls in the surrounding area. We want, we're on a mission to plant churches overseas and all throughout the United States. We're on a mission to be like Jesus on this planet so that at that day that no one has excuse because every ear has heard, every eye has seen the power of God at work in their lifetime and through us. And so that's our mission, if you will, as a church. You're going to be a missional individual. Our second purpose in these teachings the next two weeks is to, I want to, I'm just going to, a shameless plug, I want to inspire all of you to go on a short-term missions trip with us this summer. I, I, that's my goal is to inspire you that we've got to get out there and we've got to go be a part of it. We've got a number of trips lined up. They're going to be, uh, it's simple enough to bring our children with us. It's gonna, you say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I got a bad knee. Listen, we'll work with you. But I have found this out, that if you'll get out there where people are hurting, you'll get out there and see the need. It's one thing to send money to the need. It's one thing to watch a television broadcast about the need. It's another thing to touch it, to be there in the midst of it, to sleep there amongst them, to eat the food they're eating, and go through the difficulties that they're going through firsthand. It'll change you forever and make you a missional Christian. Isn't that good? Say yes. So with that being said, let's jump into the Word today where key scripture is Mark chapter 16. If you're new to us, every every Sunday I give one key scripture that kind of summarizes the message. And if, uh, and if you'll write that scripture down and you'll do your best to memorize it or keep it in your notes somewhere and you'll learn that scripture in a year you will have learned 52 scriptures and you will have 52 gateways doorways into thoughts and messages that we preach to minister to you and bring back remembrance of what God taught you this year but if you'll memorize or hold on to these 52 scriptures I promise you as a result of that you'll know more Bible than 90% of Americans so hold on to these all right so our key scripture today uh, since we're talking about the mission has to be Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. If you'll continue reading, and it says, And these signs will follow you who believe. You'll cast out devils. You'll heal the sick. You'll raise the dead. If you drink any deadly poison, it won't kill you. It won't harm you if you touch anything. And you will do great works. Listen, signs and wonders will go before you, will follow you, because you are in the go. What did the old pastor say one time? He said, Two-thirds of God's name is go. Let you think on that for a second. <laughs> and, and, and so when Jesus makes this as a statement to the disciples and to Christianity as a whole, he's not asking us, he's not pleading with us, he's given us a command to go. And with that being said, as we talk about the mission today and then next Sunday as well, I want to dive into, with this being the Christmas season, I want to dive into one of the, what we would consider a Christmas story, and that is the story of the Magi or the wise men and that experience in Matthew chapter 2. So if you don't mind, let's read that experience of the Magi coming into Jerusalem and all that they were after to try on their mission to find the King of glory. And so we'll start in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. 
Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. If you got it, say, I got it. If you're looking, say, I'm looking. If you forgot your Bible, say, I'm sorry. That's okay, because I got it on the screen for you. Look at you. And it says this, and after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard uh, this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he, uh, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are to by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Continue reading verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where their child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So as we dive into this a little bit, let's kind of get an understanding of who the Magi are. First and foremost, it's a mis- misappropriation of, of, uh, of what really happened to think that there were just three Magi. Uh, the Magi is translated out wise men. That's why you'll hear, hear songs about the wise men or you'll hear someone say Magi. It's the reason why it's because that, that is also translated out Magi. They were wise men. They were astrologers and astronomers from the east, probably from the e- region around the Euphrates. In fact, um, most... Uh, you know, back and forth with scholars as to what they believed these men were. They probably, you got to understand the biblical times of these pagan nations, uh, especially from the east, and the way that these, like a Darius or Xerxes or someone like that, the way they did business was they surrounded themselves with people who had the connection with the supernatural. Kind of like palm readers or soothsayers or people who, you know, study and worship, you know, uh, Eastern mysticism and things like that. And that's what many of these people were. And, um, And so what we see is that they would study the stars. They would worship these false gods. They would have demonic powers to do things. And, and the kings of the, of, of the era used them to give them direction on how to govern their kingdom and, and watch out for warring factions that might arise and to tell them who in their own family might be trying to rise up and kill them. But what we see, and, and, and many scholars believe that these particular magi were from the, from the region of Babylon that had been former Babylon, where, where literally where Daniel had been in captivity, where, where he had been captured and uh, 500 years earlier. And uh, it's not a far stretch to believe, and this is how I believe it, uh, it's not a far stretch to believe that these guys, these particular magi, had come down through the ranks of what Daniel had raised up. If you'll study the book of Daniel, you'll realize that Daniel uh, became one of the wisest men in 
all of that, uh, in all of Babylon at that era. In fact, the king made him a, an assistant to him to, to give him wisdom and guidance. And, and Daniel had the ability to, to interpret dreams. He heard from God. He spoke on behalf of Jehovah God. And as a result of that, you take this, this if you will, this godly individual and you mix him in with all these pagan, you know, a- astrophysicists and all these guys who worship all these demon things and use the demonic powers. To, and you mix them in. And what we see probably that transpired is that Daniel, because he became their chief, if you will, because he was the one to be able to keep bad things from happening and the king really trusted him. Daniel probably became kind of the, the guy that, inter- that gave them the influence to be looking for such a star. 500 years earlier, they probably, Daniel was taking the scriptures, if you will, the prophetic letters. He was taking the Torah and teaching it to these, to these men that would, now obviously they didn't leave, live 500 years. These are the, the, you know, the, the levels, uh, you know, 500 years later, the, the group of magi that would have been trained under, under Daniel now have, have become these guys, you know, years later. But what we probably see happening is that, that Daniel probably taught them Numbers chapter 23, where about Baalsam prophesied um, in, in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 7, that there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. So more than likely over the last 500 years, because of Daniel's influence, these magi from Babylon were looking as they're studying the stars and working in their magical powers. They also had had this prophetic thing given to them from the Israelites that Daniel had been connected to. And, and that, that there was a star where a king was going to come. And that when they see the star, he's, it, it probably connected it all. So when they are sitting there studying the stars and they see something crazy, supernatural star... They probably make the connection to it and go, oh, this is that thing. This is that, that king of Israel is going to come. This, this star that's supposed to be born. That's supposed to set everything right. And we see that they literally loaded up and began traveling. Now, most scholars believe they traveled from afar, which probably took them somewhere between six months and two years to come where they were coming from to where they were going, which ended up being Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is at this time, obviously, the capital city of Israel, if you will. It's the prominent city. It's a city of about 40,000 people in this, in, in this era. And so can you imagine as these wealthy, very wealthy very large crowds of magi come in to the city. Now, you got to understand, if it took them that long, they were on a mission to find the king. They were on a mission. They left everything comfortable. They left everything easy. And they went out on a mission following this star because of a prophetic word that there was going to be a king that was born that would liberate the world. And they're on this mission. It takes them probably close to maybe a year and a half or so to get there. And as they come into Jerusalem, that's all they know is that Jerusalem is the capital city of the Israelites. And again, back to the passage that I quoted to you out of Numbers 23, that a star was going to come to you Israel. And so they come into the city. Now, most people, you know, uh, tradition has taught us that there are three wise men. That's foolishness. There's no, there's no proof of that. That's just some kind of, you know, story made up. More than likely, there was close to 20 wise men, if you will. And not only that, but they traveled in a giant caravan. They're very, very, very wealthy. They're very, very, very important. They're very, 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 if you will, very, very, very esteemed because of their knowledge in the, in the, in the arts of the mysticism and the ability to tell uh, fortunes and what's going to happen in see and quote into the future and all these things and so when these guys show up they don't show up with three of them with a couple of donkeys and some little frankincense and myrrh friend they show up they show up in an entourage there's probably 
100 to 200 of them because they've got all their servants. They've got, uh, listen, they've been on a year and a half maybe or so journey. They've got all the food, all the supplies, all their wealth with them. And they come walking into a city of about 40,000. And the Bible says that there was a great stir. That Herod and all of Jerusalem was disturbed. The reason why they were disturbed, picture it. Now, I'd imagine here, Cedar Hill is about, you know, just, just closer to about 50,000, just a little bit bigger. But can you imagine at the Walmart in Cedar Hill, all of a sudden, Justin Bieber shows up with his entourage. Come on now, Aguilera and you name them. All these people show up with their entourage and they walk into the parking lot of Cedar Hill Walmart and says, Where's the king? We're here to find him. We've been traveling from afar. Everyone stops what they're doing. Can you imagine the selfies? Can you imagine all the posts? Can you imagine the craziness? The news media showing up as all of these famous, very important people are in the Cedar Hill Walmart parking lot. And it says that it gets the attention of all of Jerusalem to the place that Herod is disturbed. Why is Herod disturbed? Because they are looking for the king of the Jews. Of which Herod is trying to become. Tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod is not a full-blooded Jew. He actually is an Edomite. When there is Jacob and Esau, Jacob, God's from his lineage become comes Israel, and then Esau, obviously not Jacob's lineage, if you will, he is from Esau. Esau is his great 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 grandfather, whatever that may be. And so Israel, the Israelites, the Jews are ticked off. That he is ruling over them. But the Romans have put this man because he is Herod, that is, because he is violent, he is vicious, he doesn't play games, he's not scared to kill them all, but anything to keep peace, because the Romans want peace by all the countries that they've conquered. They don't want turmoil, they don't want riots, they just want that to stop. And so they put Herod over it, so the Israelites are mad about it. Then all of a sudden, wealthy, famous, prophetic voices show up in his city and says, a star appeared to us, where is the king? Not knowing what to do about this because he doesn't understand biblical prophecy or anything like that. What does he do? He pulls together all of the spiritual leaders. He pulls them all together and he says, is there a prophecy about this? Where is he supposed to come? So forth and so on. And we read that passage and literally what happens is the chief priests all come together and they quote to him Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that he is to be born in Bethlehem. That Bethlehem is to be this place. And as we read it in verse 7, excuse me, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, which mainly Sadducees, his family, they all come together and they say, well, the, well, the prophetic voice says, the prophetic word, the prophets say, excuse me, from years ago that it will come from Bethlehem, that he will come from Bethlehem. Can I ask you a question? How do pagans know that the, that the king of glory has come to the planet and the church itself has no idea that he's there? I'll tell you why. Because they were so consumed trying to keep their position amongst the Romans that they missed the Messiah's coming. I want you to understand something. 
God stirred the hearts of pagans to go on a mission to find himself. God stirred the hearts of pagans, uh, demon worshipers, to say there is a real God out there in the heavens. I'm going to show you something in the stars that's going to blow your mind to where you have to go figure it out. Friend, I want you to know something. Each and every one of us need to be on a mission to know our God, to serve our God, to produce what God wants on the planet to happen on this planet. Can I, can I make a little statement to you? Write this down. This will help you a little bit. And this, this is my famous statement today, statement of the day. When our mission meets his mission, our existence will have reason. When our mission meets his mission, our existence will have reason. Can I explain something to you? The problem with the world today is not sex and drugs and, 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 and racism and all that. The problem is purposelessness. See, see, if I don't know why I'm here, if I've never found God's mission for me, do you understand? The person who created it knows why it exists. God, the creator, knows why you and I are on this planet. But while we're chasing after jobs and cars and building families and we're on our mission, until our mission coincides with his mission, we we live in a place of purposelessness and we don't know why. So, yeah, so why not do drugs? Why not cheat on my spouse? Why not live this way? Why? Because I don't have a reason not to. But when I have a mission, it wakes me up in the middle of the night. Come on, somebody. It keeps me going when difficulty happens. It keeps me alive and well. And it keeps me focused on everything that life has meaning all of a sudden because I'm on a mission to serve the Lord my God. And here are these pagans that go after a mission. And the moment they interact with the king of glory, they fall down and worship him. Let me tell you something. You and I will live a miserable life of mundane living until we find out God's mission for you and I. When you and I find the mission of God for our life, what happens to us, it'll cause us to marry the right person. It'll cause us to stay with the right person. It'll cause us what job to work and what job not to work. It'll cause us to to spend our money differently. Why? Because it's all about a mission. It drives us. It leads us. It guides us. And what I have found in Christianity more than not is that most people don't know why they're on the planet. No idea why they're sucking air off this planet. And so they make up a mission. I just, well, I'm just going to be successful in business. Well, I'm just going to make millions of dollars and maybe I'll give it to the church. If I win the lottery, I'm going to give half of it to the church. Look, you don't tithe now. You're not going to give half of it to the church. Why? Because you're not living missional. There's no reason for it until you get the mission of God in your heart. You say, oh my goodness. I can only give you my personal testimony on that. As a young man, I grew up living for me. I was an only child. What was mine was mine and what was yours was mine. That was my life. That was my concept. My mom laughed. She says at Christmas because, you know, I didn't have a dad as, as, a, as a, a younger child. And so all the aunts, all the, grand, all the grandmas, everybody lavished on me. I was the only boy. They lavished on me. At Christmas, the, the, 90% of the presents were mine. And mom said that I would, three and four years old, I would just start ripping open boxes and paper. Uh-huh, great. Next. Uh-huh, great. Until I got through all of them. And then I would look at all of them like, is this it? That's who I was. Talk about the epitome of selfishness. I realized early on that if you were going to be successful in life, you had to get people to like you. You had to be smart. You had to be athletic. You had to be good looking. And so I ran the gamut of all of those pieces as a young man. I, I was determined to be successful. I was determined to be rich. I was determined to be, to be important and popular. And then one day at our church, our youth pastor stood in front of all of us and said, Hey, guys, guess what? This summer, we're going to go on short-term missions trips. And everybody's like, yeah. He says, it's going to be amazing. 
He said, the first trip I want to announce is we're going to go to Africa. Who wants to go to Africa? Everybody's like, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's exotic. I want to go to Africa. He goes, great. It'll be $3,000. Everybody's like, oh, I don't think so. He goes, I got, and how about this next trip? We're going to go to Europe. We're going to go to Germany, and they're going to go over here. And everybody's like, ooh, that sounds great. He goes, good. That's going to be 3500 And everybody's like, oh, man, I can't afford that. We're teenagers, you know? And he goes, in the third trip, he said, he said, we're going to go to Haiti, the poorest country in our hemisphere. It's only going to be about 450 bucks. Well, by this point, everybody got smart. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to do all that. I ain't got that kind of money. That's crazy. No one raised their hand. And I was kind of sitting in the back, you know, just being my little, you know, self. And I uh, love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. But I had no mission. And all of a sudden, the finest girl in our youth group raised her hand. She's a couple years older than me. She goes, I want to go on that one. And I looked around, and other, other dudes were getting, getting their hand up. And I was like, well, I'm going where she's going. <laughs> Tell you that right now. I got a plan. I got a plan. That girl going to marry me, and she's going to fall in love because I'll have her by myself. And that, no one can resist this charm that long. I mean, maybe a youth service or two, she can push it off. But she can't. It's, it's talking about a two-week mission trip. She's mine. And so, man, I was so, I was, I was, look, you talk about on a mission, I was going to raise that 450. We were, we weren't poor in those days, we were poor, and there is a difference, and only those who've been there know what I'm talking about. And so, and so, I mean, I did, I washed cars, I, I got a dozen, someone had told me this idea, I got a dozen of eggs, I would knock on your door, you'd come to the door, and I'd say, hey, listen, I'm raising money to go be on a short-term mission trip in Africa, and I, and I want you to give me five dollars, would you give me five dollars if I'll crush this egg on my head right now, give me five dollars, and people were like, oh, that's hilarious, and you know, this, they give you, this is before social media, but they give me five dollars, just acting a fool, just to raise money, I raised more, I raised more money than the trip cost, I bought a set of luggage, I bought a new pair of pants, I bought shoes, make, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> Anyway, so, so, so we landed in Haiti, the poorest country in our hemisphere. I mean, I was, I was, this was my moment. I was, I mean, on the plane ride over, I'm sitting next to her. There was a couple of nerdy dudes that went, a couple of girls that weren't so good looking, and then me and her. And so I'm moving, and she's a couple years older than me, and I always like that. And so, so I'm sitting next to her, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I am making the moves all plane ride over. And we land in Haiti, and the missionary picks us up, and the first thing that missionary did was took us to the cardboard city. And when we looked over, we, it was an overpass looking down in kind of this little valley area, if you will. And as far as I could see were people, children, adults. They had no houses. They, they, they had like pieces of cardboard over their head next to another piece of metal, and that was their living space. Thousands and thousands of homeless, impoverished people, disease-ridden, little, little fires going and cooking little rats and stuff on sticks and stuff. And as we stood there, I, w- I, I, I couldn't soak it all in. It was, I, my mind was shutting down because I'd never seen this kind of pain. All of a sudden, little kids come running up on the overpass. So, 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 there was 10, 15 of them. Four or five years old, no clothes. Eyes bloodshot red. And it's, suh, 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 money, 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 suh, suh, suh. And so, I, you know, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. So I'm sort of reaching in my pocket, you know, I'm going to give. And the missionary, missionary said, don't do it. I said, what? Look at these kids. He said, if you give them money, they're going to go buy glue and they're going to sniff it. They have no family, no parents. They're living on the streets. I said, they're four and five, four and five years old. He goes, it doesn't matter. That's what they do to survive. And so we didn't give them money. That week was the hardest week of my life. The food was gross. Demons on everybody. Everybody had demons. Uh, I mean, it, it was, I didn't like, I was so uncomfortable. And, and I just wanted to get back home. And, 
we did this outreach, and in the middle of the outreach, it was at night, and, and we were out in, the, like, out in the wilderness, man, out in the middle of nowhere, and we're shooting the Jesus film. Remember the old Jesus film where Jesus stands there and the, and the dove lands on him when he comes out? Yeah, anyway, we're show, and it's translated in their language, and we've got this projector, and we've got this generator, and there are no lights for 40 miles. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, a demon person bumps into me. She's slithering on the ground on her belly. She rises up, and I'm like, and the missionaries run over there and cast the devil out of her. And she's like, I don't know what happened. I'm like, I know what happened. I saw it. I'd never seen pain, difficulty, sorrow, hurt. Like I'd never tasted of it from my little American mentality. And that night as we laid in our hammocks because we couldn't sleep on the ground because the snakes were all over the ground. And I don't like snakes. The only good snake is a dead snake. I'm sorry for all you conservationists. And... Um, and, uh, and so I'm laying there. I can't sleep. But God has grabbed a hold. For the first time in my heart, I had a mission. And I said, Jesus, my life's not my own. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will be anything you want me to be. I don't care about being popular. I don't care about being rich. In that moment, it shifted. When your mission meets his mission, now all of a sudden you have a reason for your existence. I said, God, take my gifts. Take my talents. Take who I am. Take my, my energy. And use it for your kingdom business. Friend, I'm your pastor today. Because at 14 years old, I went on a short-term missions trip. And I found the mission of God for my life. I, I, I'm, I'm the man of God who I am today. And seen the tens of thousands and thousands and thousands of souls brought into the kingdom. Because I got a mission. Not because I'm a good preacher. Not because I pray more than everybody else. Not because I'm a good person. Because I found the mission of God for my life. Can I tell you something? You can have a mission of God and be the greatest banker there ever was. And lead more people to Jesus. And wake up and be faithful to your family. And be called by God to do great things. But have a mission. Most people I know have no, reason, no idea why they're on this planet. They have no concept. And they're so scared of discomfort. You know, I, I don't want to do anything radical because, because you know, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like the discomfort that comes from living full force for Jesus. Can I explain something to you? Write this down. This is a little statement that I live by. If good is the enemy of great, then comfort is the enemy of the supernatural. If good is the enemy of great, then comfort is the enemy of the supernatural. Can I explain something to you? All throughout Scripture, when you see the supernatural power of God at work, it's usually in the midst of something super discomfortable. It's so uncomfortable for them. They, I mean, they don't even want to be there. And God does miracles. It's in conflict situations. It's in horrible situations. And God does miracles in our discomfort. Friend, can I tell you something? The goals of life is not to be comfortable. The goal of life is to be on His mission. To be in His mission doing what God's called you to do. And even in the midst of discomfort, He'll bring supernatural plans in, in play. He'll do things that are crazy that blow your mind. When you get old and you're laying on your bed and your great-grandkids are standing around the bed. You want to hear them as you breathe your last breath. Say, my grandfather was a man of God. My grandmother lived every day to its fullness for the cause of Christ. And not one day went by. I saw her lay hands on a blind man in Walmart and he got healed. I know about her trips that she took with her little church called Church on the Hill. And they went over here and did this and it transformed her and everyone she touched. Friend, this is a life worth living. This is the mission that God has for each and every one of us. Something that is his business combined with what we think our business is brings forth the supernatural. Let me give you a couple lies about comfort. Number one, comfort, this is a lie, comfort is the proof of God's blessings. That's a lie. 
I don't know where, where that came about at. That somehow, if I'm comfortable, that, that's proof that God is blessing me. Can I tell you something? If that's the case, he's got to repent to every one of the apostles. He's got to remove the book of Acts from his holy scriptures. Because the apostle Paul said, listen, we're pressed on every side. Every time we go into the city and we start preaching the gospel, they hate us. They try to kill us. In Lystra, they actually killed him. And the disciples raised him from the dead. Can I tell you something? Comfort is not proof that God's blessing you. That's a lie. We're not living to try to be comfortable. We're living for the purposes and the mission that God has for our life. Number two, the second lie about comfort, and that is comfort is the reward of a life of labors. That comfort is the reward of a life of labors. Can I explain something to you? You don't hit 65 and retire, man of God, woman of God. You don't stop and then now you just sit around playing golf and watching, you know, Price is Right. Let me tell you something. The mission of God continues until we're standing at the pearly gates going, whoa, how did I do? How did I do? We live for the, the comfort. Is, this, this is lie that I worked hard my whole life, so I should be able to just be comfortable, and I should just be a bump on the log my, my later years. Not in this church. You look at the folks that are a little bit more mature in this room. They're living for the purposes of God. They're waking up every day and saying, let's go make Jesus great today. Let's go make it hard to go to hell from Cedar Hill. Not in this church. Not a part of us. We're a missional church. Let's make our, listen, our teenagers aren't out there trying to figure out how much sex they can have and how much they can get, how many drugs they can get. They're out, they're out there saying, how do I bring young people to the cause of Christ? Our young adults, they're not out there shacking up and being perverted and wicked back and forth, confused about their sexuality. Why? Because they're living with a mission. They're waking up every day to do something great for their God. Friend, let me tell you something. Comfort is not the reward of a life of labors. That's a lie. Comfort is what may happen when Jesus comforts us in heaven and wipes every tear. But until that moment, we live for the purposes of God. We live live for the mission of God. Here's the third lie about comfort, and that is comfort and safety will make me happy. Ask Michael Jackson about that. Comfort and safety somehow will make me happy. Can I tell you something? You're so worried about your child being discomfortable or uncomfortable. Let me say it the right way. Can I tell you something? It's in that discomfort that they learn to cry out to their God. It's in that discomfort that things grow. Over the years, I've had young men in my life that, teenagers that went through these growth spurts that were crazy. Like, you know, one summer they're 4'8", and the next summer they're 6 foot. You, you had a kid like that? And they tell the stories of laying in the bed going, Ah! It hurts! Why does it hurt? Because they're growing. Can I tell you something? There's nothing easy about confronting someone about their sin. It's not comfortable. But it's necessary for their salvation. It's necessary for the miracle of life to happen in them. There's nothing comfortable about going on a short-term missions trip. There's nothing comfortable about it. I'll never forget when Jamie and I took our family, one of the more recent trips when Adeline was just a little, little baby, and we went just across the border in Mexico, we went to a special needs orphanage and minister there. We did kids outreach. And Jamie and I are in this little nasty hotel room. I mean, it's nasty. But it was only $10 a night, so there you go. It's a missus trip. And, and we got Adeline, you know, in a little crib and 
Cohen and Mariah are sleeping on the floor next to the bed next to us. And, and I know good and well, there are roaches and stuff climbing all over them in the night. Jamie said, don't say that second service. They'll never go on short-term mission trip. I know good and well that it's not comfortable. Can I tell you what I get told on a daily basis? Your kids are amazing how they love Jesus. People ask me, what is that? Why? Why do you think, what did you do different? What did you, I don't think it has anything to do with my inability to be a good parent or, or be a, you know, a spiritual leader. I think it has everything to do with they caught the vision, the mission that God had for their life when they were children. So it doesn't matter so much if they sleep in a fancy place or not so fancy place. It doesn't matter if the air condition's too hot or too cold. They're living their life with a mission. If you could teach your kids anything, teach them what it's like to live for the mission of God. When the mission of God coincides with your mission of your life, the reality of that is reason for existence. That's why I'm alive. Some of the most amazingly excitable people I've ever been around, little sweet people living out there giving their life for the cause of Christ. I'm not calling all of you to go sell everything and move to Africa or to the, you know, to the deep parts of the jungles of South America. What I'm saying is this. Have a mission for your life. It coincides with God's mission for your life. Live life to its fullness and the excitement of it. And I would challenge you, if you're not really sure how to get that jump started, do like I did and go on a short-term mission trip where callousness of our hearts and our minds that we don't realize have transpired are peeled back as we see people who aren't like us. Do you know that if you make $800 a month, you are in the 50 percentile of the world population for the richest people in the world? Do you know that? That 50 percent of the world's population brings in Less than $200 a month. You think, I'm poor. <laughs> yeah. Maybe by American standards. And when we get to heaven, God's not going to say, Americans to the left part of heaven, the richer spot. And you poor people that lived in the world to this part of heaven, it's a little lower end. It's a little bit more efficiency housing for you guys. He's not going to go, oh, wow. Wow, why did so glad you influenced Americans for the gospel because uh, they're a lot better than everybody else. Yeah. Friend, when you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you want to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's live our lives to the fullness. Let's be people of mission. Let's wake up every morning and every night when we put our, pill- our head on our pillow, let us say, we may have been, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 8, we were hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We were perplexed, but not in despair. We were persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I want to live my life with a mission. I don't want to try to fumble around trying to figure out what life is all about. I want to live it with a mission. God has a mission for you. My prayer and desire for these two pieces, these two Sundays. Number one, is that you get the mission of God in your life. Number two, shameless plug, that you go with a short-term mission trip with us. Because I'm convinced... For every person in our church to do a short-term mission trip with us, I'm convinced you'll get delivered from selfish Christianity. I'm, I'm convinced that you'll get delivered from Americanism. 
I'm convinced that you'll begin to live passionately a life of missional living. If you'll just go, just one time, it'll change you forever like it did for us. Would you stand with me all across the room? You guys have been gracious today. I pray that I haven't challenged you too much where you want to quit on God, go sell everything just tomorrow, maybe, I don't know. I want you to bow your heads with me all across the room. Close your eyes for just a moment. I want to minister to you. As you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to ask this question. Why am I on the planet? What is your mission for me? Did you ask the Lord that? He'll show it to you. He'll show it to you. You may be a wealthy businessman or woman. You may own 20, 30 businesses. That would be awesome. If it's God's mission for you. If it's God's mission, then God's kingdom will advance as you live purpose. You may be the greatest educator we've ever had. But it'll advance the kingdom of God's purposes and plans because you'll be on his mission. When the Magi came into Jerusalem, they asked the question. They said, we're on a mission. We want to find this king. We want to know who he is because we want to worship him. Because we now know what life is about. It's about serving this king. In our pursuit to find him, we figured out what life is all about. Herod hated it because it meant that everything had to change for him. It's amazing. Herod was on a mission to kill him. The Pharisees were on a mission to forget him. <laughs> and the pagan magi were on a mission to serve him. It's amazing how that worked. So you have your head bowed and your eye closed. What's your mission? Why are you on this planet? Why did he give you life? So I don't know, Pastor. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but that's the right question to ask. That's the right question. It probably took them a year and a half traveling on the mission to figure out what the mission was. All they knew is they were following the star. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I'm asking God to reveal himself to you and the mission for your life. Oh, when you have mission. When you, when you have a reason, it causes you to live with joy. When you have the purposes of God attached to your daily life, and you're after Him with all of your heart, I tell you, nothing can steal your joy. You can't live in depression. You can't live in frustration because you know it's just part of the mission. You've got to have hard times. When you live for the mission of God, comfort does not become your end result. When you live for the passionate plan that God has for this earth, you're willing to sacrifice your life, willing to sacrifice your comforts, willing to do whatever it takes to make God great on this planet. As you think about these things and pray about these things, I want to approach another group of people in this room today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're like those magi, you you showed up here looking for something. You wouldn't have come to church if you, if you weren't looking for something. But you haven't found the king yet. You haven't found him. You don't really know him. You, maybe you met him back in the day, but he's not your Lord and Savior. Maybe you say, Pastor, there was a time in my life where I served Jesus and I was a Christian. I loved him with all my heart, but life happened. And 
I'm away from him now. I, don't, I, can't, I, I can't confidently say that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I, I don't know for sure that I'm really a Christian. Hey, I got great news for you. I got great news. You can leave this place knowing for sure. Jesus wants to invade your space. He wants to be your best friend. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about giving money to church. I'm talking about you knowing your God. You serving your God. I'm talking about being best friends with Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If I'm speaking to you right now, you say, that's me. I don't know Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm, if I died, I'm not going to heaven. Friend, listen, I got great news for you. He's shining forth to you today. He's revealing himself to you today. You say, well, what do I do? The Bible says it's real clear. He says, just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Today, right where you stand, if you're away from Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been a Christian or you used to be and you've walked away, I'm calling you home today. I'm calling you into a love relationship with your creator. With no one looking around, if that's you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm telling you, God's pulling at my heart right now. Friend, why don't you respond? Here's how I'd like you to respond. If God is tugging at your heart, you know it's time to serve the Lord. It's come back to Jesus. I want you to be courageous enough to just admit that to yourself and to the Lord by lifting your hand. No one's looking around. This is me, you, and Jesus. Lift your hand. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless you, sweet lady. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. May you never be the same. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. I'm tired of living like this. It's been a number of hands. Anybody else? Give you about three or four more seconds. Pray for me, Pastor. Thank you, sweet love. Anybody else? You can put it back down. Pray for me, Pastor. I don't want to live like this anymore. I saw it. God bless you, sir. Two more seconds. I don't want to miss you. I don't want to leave this place. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. Amen. You can put your hands down. You say, well, what, what, what happens now? Listen, Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He died on a cross so that your sins will not be billed to your account. You and I just repent and ask him into our life. And he transforms everything. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Those who lifted their hands, I want you to mean this prayer with all of your heart. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer of relationship. It's, it's kind of like signing on that marriage license. It's kind of like saying, I do at that altar. Coming into relationship with the living God. That's what this prayer is. And I want to lead you in that if you're ready to make Jesus your Lord. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. You can do better than that. Say, Jesus, today. I surrender my life. I ask you, help me. Help me. Forgive me of my sin. I recognize I'm a sinner. And I ask you now to forgive me. I declare Jesus is my Lord. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus name keep your head bowed for just a moment Father I bless these men and women who've just come into the kingdom who've just made you the Lord of their life I pray right now in Jesus name they would sense your peace they would sense your forgiveness Lord God that all shame would just begin to dissipate Lord a lot of these guys are thinkers and they're thinking well I'm just going to go do it again I'm just going to do that drug again I'm just going to I'm going to curse that person out again Lord I pray you just deliver them from that right now and let them realize they're yours. They're yours. And Lord, like all of our kids, some are still growing, some are still learning. None of them are perfect. And Jesus, I just thank you right now for peace that surpasses all understanding to guard their heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Would you do me a favor? Would everyone grab hands with that person close to you? If you have to reach across the aisle to someone who's sitting by themselves, that would be beneficial. Thank you for that. 
And as we go to close today, this is a missional church. You were created to be a missional human being. Not to live life running around, not knowing what it's about. Not trying to find yourself through relationships and drugs and work and success. To find yourself in the mission that God planned for your life. As you got your hands joined, I want you to pray for persons on either side of you. That God would speak clearly to them on what their mission is for this season of their life. Would you just begin to pray for just a moment? Father, I pray every man and woman in this room would hear, know, and fulfill the mission of God for their life. Lord, I know you adjust things. Sometimes it was this last year, and this year you got a little bit different direction. But Lord, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name that each and every one of us, each and every one of us will wake up every morning running after the mission of God fulfilling the mission of God. And Lord, when seasons come and seasons change and you adjust that mission, Lord God, that we would embrace that adjustment as well. And that we would run with it all of our heart. And it would guide us and direct us and give us reason for existence and cause us to live the way a passionate Christian should live. And may we see miracles as we find ourselves in situations that the mission brought us into. In the volatile situation, in tough situations. And may we see the supernatural. We refute American comfort in Jesus name Lord we push it aside Lord God not that we're supposed to be poor and not be blessed and, and Lord, but Lord that we refute that that's the goal no the goal is to fulfill mission and Father I thank you Lord God that you will bless and bring the supernatural into the life of each one of these men and women today Lord I ask you now to transform our lives to do in us what, what no college education could do what no mentorship could do reveal to us the mission purpose for our life in Jesus name.